Hello, hello, and welcome into the Cannabis Man podcast. Thank you for clicking on the show. I am your host, Don Kleppen. And if it's your first time here, welcome. It's a show where we're taking a journalistic look at all things cannabis, trying to anyway. Uh, I myself am pro-cannabis. I've been a cannabis user for 18 years or so, personally. I'm currently in the middle of a dry January tolerance break, and I'll talk a little more about that after the show opens. Uh, But this is a show where we're normally, I'm talking with people who are in the the cannabis space, experts uh, who are all around it, whether these be business owners, entrepreneurs creating products and services for you, or all of us to try relating to cannabis, policymakers, whether appointed or elected or volunteering, who are looking to establish some laws that we're all going to have to abide by in the future of legal cannabis in the U.S. and hopefully around the world, or researchers and doctors who have uh, looked into some of the questions we have about cannabis and can give some informed perspective about some of the questions that do still exist. Today, I'm speaking with two guests who are part of S3 Collective. That's a new group which is looking to establish some framework for some of these cannabis policies. We talk about things like labels on cannabis products. We talk about things like the 2018 Farm Bill and how that uh, legal THC threshold of 0.3% has basically legalized cannabis uh, in effect up to that threshold. And the work being done at S3 collective is is going to be crucially important for legal cannabis going forward. So you can kind of hear about what it is that they're focused on and what they're working on later on in this episode. I also like to share some news stories or talk about topics that have come up throughout the week relating to cannabis, and I've got a few of those for you in this episode as well. If you haven't already, go ahead and scroll down and hit that support the show button, become a subscriber to Cannabis Man, and you'll get uh, an email from me as well as a shout out in the next episode because that makes you a part of the show as well. Also, follow the show uh, at Seaman Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. I also publish the episodes on YouTube, and I've been throwing some clips out on YouTube shorts as well. Uh, anywhere you look, you can just search Cannabis Man Podcast, and uh, what I'm doing should pop up for you. So without further ado, let's get into this episode of the Cannabis Man Podcast. This is Tommy Chong, and you're listening to the Cannabis Broadcast. Alrighty then. And I want to start by saying I hope you've been having a wonderful 2024 so far. I'm recording this on January 11th of this year, and uh, that means I'm 11 days into my dry January and tolerance break. Uh, If you don't know, I started this month doing my own version of a modified dry January. I have given up for the 31 days of the month. I've given up my beloved cannabis as well as alcohol, caffeine, added sugars, and meat for this particular month. And uh, I've had difficult moments, to be sure, but I have to say, this week has been mostly pretty stress-free. Uh, I really haven't had as many problems. I, I, If you heard last week's episode... 
when I first started this, the first two or three days of January were pretty rough. And at first, I felt mostly the lack of caffeine. That was something that I noticed with caffeine headaches. Other withdrawal symptoms included foggy brain. I felt groggy throughout the day. I was yawning by like noon. So that was kind of Tuesday, Wednesday of last week. But honestly, this week, I really haven't had any unpleasant symptoms relating to uh, any of these abstinences. It's been fascinating for for me to, to sort of go through this because the first time I did a month like this was four years ago, January of 2020. And uh, I always say if I had known what was coming in March, I probably wouldn't have bothered at that time. But I, I remember that being a lot more difficult than this month has been. And I can only, you know, suspect that that is because it was my first time doing it. It was uncharted territory for me. I had never sort of spent time uh, away from my routines with these substances the way that I've come to, to lean on them. And so it being my first time, I found myself thinking a lot more about not just the cannabis, but, but everything, the caffeine, the alcohol, all of it. And this time, I really haven't done that so much. And I've really been leaning on some helpful substitutes in order to get me through it. And I'll tell you about a few of those right now. For instance, uh, if you've heard the show before, you know I'm a big fan of caffeine and cannabis. I love drinking a cup of coffee and having some cannabis in the morning. Whenever I'm able to do that, it's something I, I like to uh, to enjoy. And so without the coffee and without the cannabis, I have turned to uh, this drink called Tea Chino for a replacement of coffee. And it's all plant-based tea. It's caffeine-free, but it sort of looks and tastes a bit like coffee. Coffee. They have different flavors like, you know, mocha mint and dandelion coconut and red chai and things like that. It's, it's a, they have a variety pack. Uh, I usually get them from Amazon. You can get them from anywhere, though. Uh, and I'll, I'll send a picture with this uh, episode when I'm doing the social media posts. But Ticino has kind of been a big help for me to get through the lack of coffee that I've been going through in this month so far. So I've got a little cup of that right now. Still pretty warm. And cheers. Uh, beautiful morning to you. Other things I've been using, I'm a big fan of seltzer waters in favor of beer. Now, obviously, the taste of seltzer is nothing like the taste of beer. When I'm drinking alcohol, I'm a big whiskey, bourbon, beer guy. That's that's kind of what I go to. I also love tequila, but beer is the thing that I drink in a regular capacity. That's sort of my, my go-to uh, at the end of the day. And I found that seltzer water, the same way that Ticino tastes enough like coffee, Coffee, there's a sort of moment when I first drink it where my brain is almost tricked into thinking that it is coffee. And then my body reacts accordingly. Even though there's no caffeine in Ticino, even though there's nothing in it that's that's like coffee, it's not from that plant. It's close enough where my brain thinks that that's what it is, and then I feel better having, you know, drank that. And seltzer water is similar in that. You know, I'll take a chug of it, and when those bubbles hit the back of my throat, there is a moment where my brain thinks it might be beer, and it acts accordingly. My body reacts accordingly to that sort of thing. Now, I don't feel any of the symptoms that I would with alcohol. I don't feel that kind of pleasant warmth or, or anything like that. But again, it is just that momentary desire to have the beer, which is part of my routine, seltzer water 
meets that need. And so that's something that uh, that I've been going for as well. If you have a particular brand of seltzer or anything with bubbles, uh, I find that that's really helpful too. Not having meat, uh, this is the first time I've done a month with no meat. And, and I want to be clear, I'm not doing veganism here. This is just vegetarian. So I've been leaning more heavily on things like eggs and cheese whenever I feel like kind of indulging. But one thing that I've noticed, and this kind of came up when my wife and I did this fast burn plan a few years ago to lose some weight, uh, and, and now I've been noticing it this month, when I take meat away... One of the really great substitutes, for me anyway, is mushrooms. Uh, My wife made some vegetarian hash the other day, sweet potatoes, uh, quinoa, some other vegetables like zucchini or cucumber, broccoli, that kind of thing, and she threw some mushrooms in with it as well. And the mushrooms, similar to the ticino, similar to the seltzer water, when you bite into like a thick mushroom, that texture, it's sort of a trick of the brain where it almost feels like I'm chewing meat. Uh, If you've ever had a portobello mushroom steak, they sell those. I've had those. uh, I believe we're going to have some of those tonight for dinner. But they're thick. They're about six to eight ounces. And when you cut into it or if you glaze it or you use like a marinade, something where you put soy sauce or teriyaki or something in a bag and you let the mushrooms sit in there for much of the day and then you cook them later and you kind of cut in and you bite into those, I'm telling you, it's a little bit like a steak. Now, when you're chewing it and you swallow it, I mean, you you know eventually that it's not a steak. You Your brain knows the difference between a, a good, juicy, meaty steak and a mushroom. You know the difference. But again, that first bite, that first taste, there is a moment where your brain is kind of like, oh, this is steak-like. And it's enough to sort of soothe your need, to soothe your craving. So those are are some of the things that I've been been using in order to kind of uh, alleviate some of the things I've been craving. Uh, Sugars haven't really been so much of a problem. I I just kind of cut out desserts and I don't really drink too much of those or eat eat too much of those throughout the week anyway. Now, one thing that I've been dealing with, obviously, I'm sure all of you know, leaning on cannabis for whatever reason, you know, the unpleasant symptoms of anxiety, of stress, of anger, whatever you're feeling, and and if you lean on cannabis for those like I do, um, that's a tough part. of of getting through a month like this. Now, I will say, I'm not thinking of it as much as I was four years ago. I think for whatever reason, I was looking forward to taking this break. I've wanted a little bit of clarity. So that's been okay, and I, I don't mind talking about it still. I don't mind like smelling products. I don't mind thinking about which products I'm going to use come February. And by the way, I'm still looking for any suggestions you might have. If there are any strains, any edibles, anything that you have really been enjoying of cannabis products, send them my way. Uh, You can email me host at cannabismanpodcast.com or hit me up on any of the social media channels. But I am looking for uh, some more that I can add to my list so that I can uh, jump back in it as a cannonball style when February 1st hits. As a way of kind of dealing with those unpleasant symptoms, the, the negativity and all of that, what I've been turning to is I find exercise to be a huge, huge help. Now, I know that there may be some of you out there who groan when you hear that, but I- I'm telling you, there is a similarity 
to the high that you can feel from cannabis and the high that you can feel from exercise, whether you're running or lifting weights, that feeling afterward is similar. And so for me, I exercise every morning of this month, you know, that that sometimes I take rest days during the week, during a typical week when my routine is normal. But during a dry month like this, I'm exercising every morning. And sometimes at night, if I've had a a pissy day at work or something, somebody gets in my face about something that I'm not really looking to talk about, I will exercise after dinner. That is my method of sort of working out, literally, the stress and frustration. I'm taking out my frustration on the weights, or I'm really taking it out kind of on myself by running or moving and sweating more than I would otherwise like to, basically leaving my comfort zone and elevating my heart rate to the point where when I'm done with it, I I do sort of feel almost a pleasant buzz like I just had a little bit of cannabis. So exercise is a big, big help. And however you can, whatever method of exercise you can find, you can start with a brisk walk outside. If you're in Chicago and it's really cold out, I would recommend a gym. But if you're not, walking outside at a brisk pace, if you can find a hill, that's great. If you've got some weights, you know, or if you don't have any, just heavy things around the house. You can go get some uh, resistance bands on Amazon. Loop them over a door. You know, you open your door and you clip the band to the top and then you can kind of do some exercises like that. But what really matters is elevate your heart rate, make yourself breathe a little faster, and break a bit of a sweat. I promise you, you'll feel better afterward. And then, aside from exercising, uh, I've talked on the show before about meditating. Uh, I know that that's another thing that people may be groaning about or eye-rolling when you hear it. But, you know, I'm not talking about banging a gong and sitting still without my shoes on for five hours or anything like that. What I do is mindfulness meditation. I use a free app called Insight Timer. You can download it wherever. And again, I'm not affiliated with them, but as I said, it's free. You can set up a little bed of sounds. Mine, personally, if you want to hear it, I'll give you a little example here from my phone. But what I do is I open Insight Timer and I already have a a preset routine. This one is 10 minutes long and what I'll do is I'll put on my headphones and I will go sit somewhere quietly. I'll usually be sitting by a window and again, it's really cold in Chicago so I don't have it open. But, you know, in the spring, summer, or fall, I'll open the window so I can feel the fresh air on my face and get some light in my eyes through my eyelids. And then I will play my meditation bed through the headphones. I'll close my eyes. And and this is what, uh, you know, this is what I hear when I'm doing this meditation sort of session. So you can kind of get an understanding here. It's nothing crazy, right? I have a bed of like a river, you know, a little babbling brook. I've got some bird noises. I've got those wind chimes going. I've got, you know, a couple other things on here, but it's not music. It's just this bed of, of pleasant nature, white noise, green noise, if you like. And what I do when this is on is I all I'm trying to do is maintain a clear 
mind, uh, it, which obviously is impossible. But you, the, the exercise of clearing it is what matters. Just like lifting weights or trying to run further and further every day, what you're doing is you're exercising your mind's ability to clear itself. Uh, I will simply do something like breathe in through the nose. And then out forcefully through the mouth, slowly. And while I do that, I just repeat that breathing exercise over and over. And while I do that, I am just, whatever thoughts come up, because we all know the thoughts come unbidden, I just simply try and refocus on my breath, sometimes counting. When you're breathing and inhaling, you can count to five and then do the same thing on the exhale. Or you can just try and picture something like you're actively sweeping the thought out of your mind. Because of this bed that I have... Sometimes I think like I put the thought in a little leaf canoe and send it off down the river. And then I just retreat back to my base of a clear mind and try and stay as clear as I can for as long as I can until the next thought comes up. And then I clear that one. And so I do this for 10 minutes. And I find that that is something that also really, really helps with my stress. It it sort of feels almost when I'm done, it feels like I've taken a nap. It is a very interesting and helpful technique I've found for dealing with stress and dealing with, you know, any kind of the anxieties of the day to day that I would normally deal with, that I would normally turn to cannabis for. So uh, if you like this. And that'll, that's plenty of that, I think. I appreciate you indulging me there. Uh, if you enjoy that, that's, that's basically what I'm doing for meditation. It, it's not, you know, anything crazy. I, I think it's, it's very simplistic when you kind of just work it into your routine. And just like exercise, just like anything else, when you start to do it a few more times, all you really need is, is 10 minutes throughout the day. On dry months like this, myself, I'm also doing this twice a day. I'll usually meditate in the morning. I did before I, I fired up this podcast, and I'm going to do it at, uh, tonight after work. So, uh, again, you're talking about 20 minutes, uh, 10, two times throughout the day, and, and you can make another bed for yourself. And there are guided meditations, and there are unguided. Mine, obviously, what I just played for you, that's unguided. But there are people on Insight Timer who will guide you through a meditative session. They might be five minutes, maybe they're, they're, you know, 10, maybe they're 20 or 30. You could even do this. You could start with yourself trying that for 10 seconds. You can literally just, and that's what I do now is that sometimes throughout the day, I'll just breathe like I just showed you in through the nose, pause, and then exhale throughout the mouth like that slowly. I can do that throughout the day just once or twice, and I find it's sort of a a miniature meditation where it it fixes me just a little bit throughout that. So for those of you who have been wondering how I've been getting through this dry month, 
uh, abstaining from all of those substances, cannabis, alcohol, caffeine, added sugars, and meat. Um, these are the ways that I've been doing it. Now, I understand this isn't going to work for everybody. Maybe you find something different for yourself to kind of substitute these things. But I have found that the substitutes I talked about, like mushrooms, ticino, uh, and, and seltzer water, those are sort of how I deal with my cravings for what I'm abstaining from. And these methods of exercise and meditation and, you know, just spending some time in nature, that kind of thing. I mean, it's nothing earth shattering. This is all basic stuff. But I find that it meets my needs. When I'm looking for something that I would normally turn to cannabis for, I find that these methods tend to get me through that moment. So anyway, I hope that helps you. And again, please feel free to reach out with any suggestions or questions you have about uh, these things as well. I want to jump right into the news joint wrap where I give you a little bit of a wrap up of some news stories or events relating to cannabis in and around Illinois. This is all curated for you by IllinoisNewsJoint.com. And let's start with uh, IDOA, the Department of Agriculture in the state, releases some updates for cannabis transporter licenses. Now, this was something that I mentioned in an earlier episode. There is now a moratorium on the issuance of applications for transporter licenses. Now, because of this, this bill is also waiving the renewal fee and the license fee for licensed transporters that are due between January 1st of this year and January 1st of 2027. So if you're already a licensed transporter, your fees are waived because of this new bill. Now, what I want to talk about, though, is that there are some bullet points here from Illinois News Joint that have to do with what this bill means for transporters. The department will not accept any new applications for licenses until March of 2027. That's one. Number two, transport license and renewal fees that were incurred. Like I just said, those are not due until January 1st of 2027 as well. Now, I'm always interested in talking about uh, transporter licenses because I do believe that we are not far away from delivery. Uh, I talked about that with Ryan Crandall on a recent episode. If you haven't heard it, go check that out. But there is a lot of talk about delivery of cannabis. Now, obviously, it's different uh, from alcohol. We, we are still sussing out legalities here. So I, I don't know what the timeline is. I'm hoping that maybe later this year we'll get some word on this. But I think it's more likely that we're still waiting for federal movement on the rescheduling down to Schedule 3 from the DEA and FDA. Also, uh, perhaps a decriminalization, uh, one of those things. I think the state is looking to the federal government to take its cue for when these delivery laws can be put into place. We're allowed to deliver alcohol and and medicines right now for, for caregivers and whatnot. I expect that to be the same with cannabis, but I do believe that until some of these pending legal actions take place, the Safer Banking Act, the MORE Act, which I've got an update for you on later in this episode, until these are actually passed by Congress and signed by the president, I think that, you know, there are certain places that states will stop short of enacting themselves, and I think delivery falls under that category, unfortunately. Another story here from IllinoisNewsJoint.com. Illinois' medical cannabis sales for last year reached $324 million. That is the lowest yearly total since adult use legalization. So medical sales continue to languish. Uh, December was a good month. It only fell behind March and April of last year. I think this... Uh, to 
some degree, this makes sense to me because I know that there are way more recreational shoppers than there are medical. We have people coming into Illinois from states all around us, Wisconsin, Indiana, and these other neighboring states. They're coming in and they're not buying medical, they're buying adult rec. So it makes sense to me that adult rec is always likely to outpace medical. But I I can't recommend it enough. If you don't have your medical card, you've got to get one. I, I mean, there are businesses that will help you get your medical card, and then you can skip the lines in the dispensaries and ditch the taxes for the state, too. So I can't recommend getting your medical card enough. I got mine a couple of years ago, and it's one of the best things I've ever done. Everyone loves to complain about Illinois cannabis prices. I'm telling you, you will notice and feel the difference in your wallet if you go ahead and get a med card. And I had an episode interviewing one of those businesses, and you can go back and listen to that with Joe Mazza. He talks about the process for getting you your medical card, something to consider. And finally, Illinois set a new record for annual cannabis sales at $1.63 billion, with a B. The Department of Financial and Professional Regulation announced today recreational cannabis sales totals for December almost hit $154 million. That has topped every monthly total since legalization. So the total adult rec sales, like we were talking about, total cannabis sales are trending upward, even though medical cannabis sales are dropping. And that brought the annual sales total to 1.63. Jason Brown of Illinois News Joint lists all the various monthly sales totals for Illinois of last year. You can compare those. He also has some great reviews. Bomb Sauce by Northern Heights, Oreos by Paul Bunyan, Sherb Cake by Northern Heights as well, Slurry Cane, Midi Pre-Rolls by Lobo. Those are just some recent reviews you can check out there, and there's great information all the time coming out at IllinoisNewsJoint.com. Now, as I just got done speaking with you about, I am doing a dry month, so I'm not uh, ingesting any cannabis products, but I will tell you about some products that I uh, used last month that I really enjoyed that I didn't get a chance to talk with you about. One of those, I'm very excited about these, high supply pre-rolls. Now, high supply, I've been you know a buyer of and I I love a lot of their products. I've talked with uh, Dana Mason of Cresco Labs. If you haven't heard that episode, uh, go back and do it because she talks about a lot of great things regarding the value tier system in cannabis. We all know about the premium tier of cannabis prices. Some would argue that Illinois is uh, permanently in that premium tier of prices, but I'm telling you, High Supply is one of the brands that does give you good value. I've gone to the Sunnyside in Wrigleyville, and I was arguing with people online just this week. There were people who, again, still love to bang the drum of Michigan is just so much better with its prices. And I was arguing with people, someone was bragging that they got an ounce for $120. And I told them, I got an ounce of some of the best I've ever had of popcorn from High Supply for $120 at the Wrigleyville Sunnyside just two months ago. So High Supply is a good brand, and I normally will go for their flour or their popcorn buds. You can usually find a great sale on those, but I had never seen pre-rolls from High Supply until last month. So of course, I went ahead and bought a few, and the ones that I grabbed this time are Rollins. That is the brand of the cannabis flour that the pre-roll package had. Uh, The total cannabinoids in this package, 25%, mostly THCA, and uh, 2.5% of THC. And uh, they don't list the terpenes on this package. A lot
lot of cannabis products don't, and that's something that I hope will change, and you'll hear a little more about that in my interview with Alina and David coming up from S3 Collective. We talk about labeling practices for cannabis products, and something that comes up is, hey, terpenes are important. We all know about the entourage effect or, or the ensemble, if you like, but the, the fact is we've known for a while that when you try to isolate cannabinoids from one another, the effects and symptoms that you feel are not always the same. People have tried to isolate a terpene that gives you the munchies and just have that on its own, and it doesn't necessarily work that way. Cannabinoids work best in tandem with one another, and that's what's so great about cannabis. You have hundreds of these compounds kind of doing this dance or playing like an orchestra in your system where it's all coming together that way. So I'm hoping that we're going to start to see not just the practice be normalized of putting terpenes on labels, but I would like that to be the standard. And that's something uh, that's the kind of work that S3 Collective is doing. And you'll hear about that again coming up in this interview. But the these Rollins pre-rolls from High Supply, I really enjoyed them. I, I was uh, I was blown away. There was only five in there, and they were probably about half a gram each, maybe a little bit less than that. So they were shorties, but they did the job. And sometimes, you know, I, I don't know if it's just me, but, you know, I don't want to burn a full gram in every joint I'm smoking. I don't really need that every time. I think a shorty is just perfect, where if, if you're walking the dog or if you're sort of going out, you know, it's a it's a break from work and you just want to take 15 minutes and kind of give yourself a little pep up but not reduce yourself to just kind of sitting on the couch and not being able to structure your thoughts in the same way and, and be productive. I like the shorties and, and I also lean towards sativas for that exact reason. But these high supply Rollins shorties were pretty great and I thought the price point was good too. I remember paying about $22 for this package. So five joints for $22, i will take that anytime. Another thing I got was also high supply some popcorn last month, first class runts. This package had 22% of cannabinoids, again, 21 and a half percent is THCA, only 0.5% was THC. This particular package was harvested in July, and it was packaged in September. I did notice this package of popcorn was a little bit dry. Now, I talk about the, the period between harvest and use of the product. Obviously, their disclaimers on the labels tell you that a year from the date of packaging. I think that's giving it a little too much time. I mean, you know, depending on how you store the product, you could smoke cannabis that's a year old and maybe it's still pretty good. But in my experience, especially if it comes from a dispensary store shelf, you really don't want to get beyond that three to four month period. And, you know, since this was harvested in July and I smoked it in December, it was dry. It's That's about a five month difference and I noticed the dryness. So I tell everybody, look at your date of harvest, look at the date of packaging, and you really want to stay within that sweet spot spot, the good range of one to three months. I think if you get it inside of 90 days from packaging, I I'm telling you, it for my money, if it's five months or beyond, I think you're going to notice a difference in quality, and I certainly did. I like the taste of first-class runs, and I do want to get another fresher package. I look forward to trying that, but just so you know, what I did get this time, this popcorn of first-class runs that was harvested in July that I used in December... 
that was dry. And and I notice when that happens, it is a little bit of a, it does take my experience down into the negatives. So I just wanted to let you know that that's something, again, to be looking for is your harvest date. One final note here before we get to my interview with David and Alina of S3 Collective. I found an article this week from Block Club Chicago. I'm a big fan of Block Club. I think the work that they do, local journalism, it's really some of the best coverage around Chicago that that we have. And if you're not familiar with them, I highly encourage you to check out their website, blockclubchicago.org, and just check out some of the neighborhood-by-neighborhood coverage that they have going on. Really, really deep and detailed stuff, and this kind of local news is huge, especially for a big city like Chicago. But the reason I'm bringing them up is because while I'm going through this dry month, no alcohol, cannabis, added sugars, caffeine, or meat, um, I mentioned the seltzer water is kind of uh, helpful for me to get through my beer cravings, but you may have noticed there has been a rise of so-called mocktails over the last few years. This movement, whether it's dry January or sort of some people are what is being called sober curious at other points throughout the year, and there are many, many products which are coming up to meet this demand, and Block Club has a great article, Don't Call Them Mocktails, which I just did, How to Amp Up Your Non-Alcoholic Drinks for Dry January, and they go on to say they found a variety of ways to make non-alcoholic cocktails this month so delicious you may not even miss the alcohol. And I haven't tried any of these yet, but they mention a few different options here. The article goes through and gives you some A, products that you might be interested in. There's one here called Seedlip, for example. I looked at their website. I almost bought a bottle yesterday, but the price is the exact same as a bottle of liquor. It was like 31 bucks for a 750 milliliter bottle of one of the Seedlip alcohol substitutes. But I can see why. They have no alcohol. They have no sugar. A lot of their bottles don't have calories either. They do things like they blend peas and garden herbs like rosemary, thyme, and spearmint. They have another product for citrus lovers, Seedlip Grove. That has orange, lemon peel, lemongrass, and ginger. So that's that's something right there you might look into. There's another one called Ritual, Zero Proof Spirits. And Block Club says they're surprisingly similar to the real thing. I looked at their website yesterday. They also have calorie-free options where they have a lot of different substitutes, whether it's whiskey, vodka, tequila, gin, whatever your brand of booze is is your type. It seems like uh, Ritual and Seedlip are some companies that are basically trying to, you know, come up with some non-alcoholic options that basically, again, as I was saying, sort of trick your brain so that you're not feeling like you're not having these things that you want. Then the article goes on to kind of give you some recipes or some recommendations from bartenders. Someone talks about not making your mocktails too sweet. They go the savory route. Uh, Uh, One man says here that him and his wife have been trying sort of like a teriyaki-style cocktail by balancing things like savory rather than all the time with, like, fruit, sweet and sour, or bitter. They're easy to do, but one thing that he mentions is using rice water, similar to rice wine. It's fermented but without alcohol. That gives you kind of a savory umami note to your cocktail. So there are these things that are out there that, you know, if you're not doing a dry January or you've never you know, played around to to be sober for any length of time, you might not have considered these alternatives. But we live in an age, again, January of 2024 here, and I talk all the time about how the world 
world's changing in regards to cannabis and such. And I've got some really great news on that front, too. There are some THC-infused beverages that basically you can make cocktails with, and instead of alcohol, you put THC in there. I'm going to be reaching out to some of those companies and try and have them on the show so we can talk a little more about some other alternatives that use cannabis instead of alcohol, which is something that I'm always in favor of. So uh, that's something that I wanted to tell you about. I will share that Block Club article uh, on the show pages in the description like I typically do with articles I talk about, and I encourage you to check that out if you're ever exploring a non-alcoholic period, whether it's January or any other time throughout the year. Listener, welcome back. I am very excited to speak with my next guests. This is a double-up interview. Sometimes, uh, if you've listened to the show, you know I'm sometimes a fan of doing this, but I'm speaking with two people who are involved in a group that is uh, is doing some really important work here. Uh, they are looking to use scientific research and standards to build an objective global framework that enhances the quality and safety of botanical products. And as you can imagine from listening to this show, that uh, those botanical products would include cannabis. Uh, very excited to speak now with uh, co-founders of S3 Collective here, David Valencourt and Alina Rodriguez. Welcome. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. Both of you work with uh, S3 Collective, which is uh, a group that's really doing some awesome work here. And as cannabis is changing, you know, all the time, every day in the U.S. and around the world, these standards uh, and and what we're learning about it are are changing all the time, too. And and so I just want to ask both of you, but maybe, David, you can go first. Just kind of talk a little about your your history with cannabis and what led you to starting this uh, this group here. Yeah, no, thanks, Don. So, you know, back in 2016, I started uh, through some entrepreneurs I knew uh, getting involved in the cannabis industry and just learning about it. And I was honestly just surprised and kind of shocked that there were no standards. Um, I come from a background of lab testing and legally defensible data, uh, doing a lot of work with like Department of Defense contracts, uh, EPA testing, etc. And it just blew my mind that there was no like standardization around, uh, you know, product safety. And next thing you know, I learned about this organization, ASTM International. Had no idea what it was. It's uh, 125 years old now, um, has been developing, provides the framework to develop consensus standards for industries all over the world from, uh, you know, railroad tracks. Imagine back in the late 1800s when trains were literally actually falling off tracks because the quality and consistency of the steel was uh, incredibly variable, and we needed a standard to ensure yeah. that that was not a problem. And so they, they formed Committee D37 on cannabis, and I showed up to the first meeting in June of 2017 uh, in Toronto, Canada, and kind of the rest was history. I was hooked on seeing this as an amazing viable pathway where folks can really leave their mark and develop an industry-led solution with regulators, public health and safety experts at the table. That That is really exciting, hugely important too, as you said. I mean, this is kind of the way that we go about things, new industries start or, or new products become available. Uh, and then the, the business is just kind of there sometimes out in, at least in the U.S., you know, capitalism is the way it is. Companies start doing something and then the regulations come to follow. But as you say, like with something like railroad, 
nanodes, they're critically important. And, and right now with cannabis, uh, we're, we're kind of laying the tracks down uh, for the future of what that's going to look like, too. So very, very cool there. And, and, and Alina, how about you? Uh, what, what brought you into cannabis and then what tied you to S3 Collective? So I also joined the industry in 2016. Um, I moved over from academic research in the neuroscience field and I started working in a testing lab in, in Colorado and ended up managing that lab for almost seven years. And uh, then I got into consulting on the manufacturing side and uh uh, also consulting with regulators in different states on how to improve their regulations, mostly through the use of international consensus standards that are being built at organizations like ASTM. And I joined uh, D37 at, in 2018 and just, you know, quickly fell in love with the community that is there. You know, it's a group of industry competitors, consumers and regulators, and we're all there to build consensus on bare minimum standards that we should all, uh, you know, adopt in our own businesses. And then the goal is that the government will come in and say, you know, those standards that you guys are, you know, using, they are working, they're keeping people safe. And so we'll just adopt them in our regulations. So uh, that's what's happened in other industries, as David pointed out, the steel industry, food industry, pharma, oil and gas, they all started with self-regulation through these consensus standards. And then the government came in and adopted those standards. So, you know, this is a, we're sitting at a perfect moment to be able to do something meaningful as a nonprofit. So that's why David and I co-founded the S3 Collective, which stands for the Standards Science and Safety Collective. You know, as we look towards inner state and international commerce, the only way we're going to get there is through a harmonized approach, utilizing these consensus standards. Um, and, you know, the whole goal is to just keep people safe, not only the people who are consuming the products, but also the people who are manufacturing the products. Right. Great, great point. And, and thanks for spelling it out that way, too. I, I do think that there there is something uh, critically important about that. And that's something that you're, you're starting to see little stories pop up uh, in terms of, of how those standards uh, can impact not just the users of the products, like you said, Alina, but also the, the creator, the manufacturers of these products. I know this is a, a one example of all the you know hundreds of, of thousands of cannabis products that have been made over the last few years. I know there was a news story out earlier this year where where somebody working in a factory in the Northeast the delay the uh, details escape me on it but but somebody who was uh, packaging uh, cannabis products actually died in the plant and and so that's mm-hmm. what I what I think of when you, you kind of mention how important these standards are for manufacturing as well as for the end users. You know, Don, I, if I can jump in on that, there is actually right after that, that incident happened. Um, and I hate the fact that that's how our society often works, that, you know, we're very reactive, but right. I will say that uh, that sparked a standard that's going through ballot right now at ASTM. And the exact name is escaping me, but it's about, you know, standard practice for evaluating the risks and, uh, you know, uh, controls for mitigating, you know, cannabis dust. And uh, they've identified six different types of like cannabis dust, keef, you know, other products that are, get into the air that affect worker health safety based on that issue. And uh, we actually have NIOSH and OSHA working on that standard with us. Um, they're, I believe NIOSH is actually working on recreating that environment at their testing lab with hemp flower next year to establish what, you know, what, what was the environment like at that time and what are the controls that can actually work to mitigate the particle size to an appropriate level so that we don't have another employee die ever from this type of incident. So, you know, it's worker safety, it's, it's consumer safety, it's patient safety, it's, 
it's risk mitigation for the entire industry that is struggling for normalization, right? As we go through these growing pains. Right, right, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you said that. That's I, I know that there are people who are going to hear that that are thrilled that that, that work is being done because, I, you, as you say, we are a reactive society. It, it can be, you know, kind of discouraging sometimes that it takes such a dramatic example like that in order to kind of, uh, you know, break through the, I, I'm not sure, the, the stagnancy or, or whatever. But that, that's great that you guys already kind of have an operation in place because obviously it's we're already struggling to fight against the lingering stigma from the last century yep. about cannabis i talk about it on the show all the time reefer madness still alive and well unfortunately and and it's things like that things like that story i, I know you both i'm sure are very aware of this too when something like that happens those whether in the media or on capitol hill who have a vested interest in perpetuating that propaganda uh, or the people that still want uh, the the sort of reefer madness to stay alive and well they can they harp on those stories and they use it as ammo for for their side to be like hey look this is this really is unsafe this is problematic but we know that it's it's really just a matter of sussing out the right standards like you guys are talking about here using science using the safety standards of today in the manufacturing in the use and the testing of these products this is how we're going to move you know cannabis forward into a a a version of a business that is acceptable and and at the standards of today uh and and i just want to i'm reading on the website here your values for s3 collective you envision a world where evidence-based data and global market marketplace standards converge to create frameworks that allow for the safe, consistent manufacture of botanical products. So that that's exactly what we were kind of just talking about there. And as we mentioned before, too, S3 Collective is a nonprofit. So uh, I just want to ask, you know, either of you, how can how can people best get involved with this if they want to make a donation or in any other way they can support you guys? What, What should people be doing? Oh, man. Alina, do you want to take that one or do you want me to go? <laughs> well, first off, uh, everybody should uh, visit our website, s3collective.org. Um, there's a button at the top if you would like to donate to our mission. You know, we uh, are gearing up um, to raise funding to submit a comprehensive public comment uh, in support of um, hopefully the DEA coming out and saying that they agree with the FDA in rescheduling cannabis to Schedule 3. That'll spark a public comment period that we need to be very uh, prepared for for because it's only 60 days um, and also to uh, share data to gather and share data that will be useful for both the industry and regulators and to organize forums uh, where we can bring you know standard development organizations and academic researchers and regulators to the table to develop these frameworks because the end goal is that we have federal guidelines for cannabinoid containing products and that we're not just trying to, you know, work through all these different states having different rules, uh, because, you know, we can't do interstate commerce that way. We can't have centralized supply chains that way. So, um, if you want to get involved, please donate to our mission. Also, we're looking for founding members and I'll let David talk more about that. Yeah, no, uh, everything Alina said. And, um, you know, there's a couple of different uh, contact forms on our website as well. If you want to get involved, if you want to learn about being a founding member, which really you know, elevates brands and companies uh, that you know support the industry as leaders in driving this change and normalization, um, helping us produce this evidence-based work, helping connect the regulators because they're limited with resources, right? Um, it's been a, a maze field for them to be able to understand the moving targets and access the data. So we're really 
bridging that gap with, um, you know, groups like ASTM and the standards that are being developed and how to use them, what they mean, all the work that went in behind them so that they can understand and adopt them as this is new to all of us. While it's not new to the world, it's new to cannabis. And so we have some great opportunities there with the founding membership model. Um, and then, of course, you know, other technical experts like we're nobody, everybody comes from somewhere. Um, you know, even if you've been a lifelong cannabis grower or operator, um, you know, pre-legalization, or if you come from farmer, or you come from food, and maybe, you know, you're, you, you're fond of a plant and you believe in it and you have your quality or pharmaceutical expertise to bring to the table, engineering expertise, like we're a melting pot and we're really driving change. So come get involved either as an ambassador uh, we're looking for volunteer experts in our committees. And of course, I think, as Alina said, funding is the biggest thing. As a nonprofit, we're really uh, focused on getting funding raised so that we can carry out this work and amplify our mission and, and help the industry. Right on. Yeah, yeah. Great, great points, both of you. Thanks for spelling it out that way. So just to recap, listener, head to S3, uh, S letter number three, collective.org. And you can see there's a, a make a donation button right at the top. You can read more about the group, who they are, and some other events that they have coming up. Up, as well as uh, some of the things that they're working on. Speaking of that, you guys both touched on some some really uh, important things coming up. You know, you mentioned what you're working on now in terms of with OSHA and, and manufacturing standards, stuff like that. Uh, Alina, you also talked about how the FDA and and hopefully they will, um, you know, the, that the DEA and, and FDA will get together and reschedule cannabis. We're all waiting on pins and needles for uh, for that announcement to come. I know that w- that's that's something that we're all very excited for here. Um, what, what are some other things coming up? 2024, the election, I've been talking with a lot of people, they all view it as pivotal for the future of cannabis, especially obviously here in the U.S., but, you know, in other spots of the world, too. What, what is S3 Collective working on, you know, aside from what, what you've mentioned now, what are you focused on in the next year ahead uh, that, that's coming down the pipe, that's, that, that Capitol Hill is focused on, but, but also kind of uh, in terms of changes that might need to be made or standards established what what are you focused on in the next year sure um so in the next year we're obviously super hyper focused on this rescheduling initiative it's a you know it's a super important important moment in our industry where after 53 years of deeming cannabis having no medical value and being you know super risk for misuse and abuse now you know the fda a leading government organization came out and said hey you know we think it should be schedule three which means that it has a lower potential for abuse than opiates i think that's just a huge thing and also that's them admitting that there is medicinal value so i think you know the election next year also the increase of cannabis markets statewide i mean we have 39 states who have markets i think that we're just you know we're moving in this direction where legalization is going to be there's no other option right (laughs) at some point and um so we're working on you know that rescheduling initiative we're also working on because when that when and if that happens you know there's going to be a need for data collection to inform standards and to inform a regulatory framework you know that's just going to be an impetus for we need federal guidelines so where are we going to get that from and so the s3 collective is working on you know converging the scientific research with standards and safety uh, best practices so that we can create that framework because it's not just about testing it's about labeling and gating and you know um, determining intoxication you know and that those sorts of things are part of that regulatory framework right on right on yeah. uh, David if you want to uh, dovetail on that go for it sure yeah you know uh, like I cannot triple or du- double triple or quadruple down enough on the rescheduling 
um, window. Um, I know there's a lot of valid concerns around what that means. And you know, the way we look at it is it's the first time since the Controlled Substance Act was, um, you know, approved uh, by Congress in 1970 to actually get a, a robust and accurate scientific evaluation of the medical and scientific potential um, of cannabis. And, you know, until until now, it's been in Schedule 1. So the mere fact that it would be in Schedule 3 and say to the world that the leading health global health agency, the FDA, has concluded that it has medical benefits is just so paramount. Um, but it's, that's just a starting point. And that's where that window of public comment period is going to be so critical to get those statements onto the record with the scientific evidence, you know, conducting a very thorough review of everything since essentially 2016 when it was last reviewed is, is one of our main focuses. And then from there, think about, you know, even going back to, you know, natural products and dietary supplements, folks may or may not be familiar with Dish Shea, which was in 1994. So think back pre-1994, the supplements, you know, whether turmeric or your vitamins that are, you know, on, on the shelf at your local grocery and, uh, you know, stores and Walgreens, et cetera, those were illegal. Those did not have a legal framework, right? It was not a drug. You had to go through clinical trials or it was a food and it was neither. And that led to Deshaies in 94. It took 13 years to get the majority of the framework on how those were regulated into, into operation. Um, wow. Through, you know, yeah. So think about all that and all right, there's going to be an uncertainty period uh, between, you know, we've got a long road to get to a federal framework, but developing the standards will accelerate that and allow states that already have a huge leg up with 39 states having a framework to start to harmonize those. And we've been working with several states already. Um, I'm a regular speaker uh, with CANRA. I'm a huge fan of them as the Regulators Association is trying to bring all the states agencies together and they know that this is this is a necessity for the future is it easy of course not it's a complex minefield of politics and opinions and you know perspectives um but we're really helping to solve that issue so if you think about rescheduling is like priority number one addressing the minimum standards and the framework that we're going to need that we can't wait 13 years on and we don't want nobody wants and i don't even think the fda wants to just come in and say, here's what you have to do. Like they want help. They don't want to have to be the bearers of bad news and put uh, something together in a vacuum. So this is really our opportunity. And it even, you know, relates to the intoxicating hemp marketplace that has risen from the, since the farm bill. And I see it as the opportunity to be like a great equalizer in terms of establishing minimum standards, no matter what type of product, if it's intoxicating, have a, have a, a universal warning symbol on it. That's low hanging fruit, whether you're in the dispensary or gas station, which, and you know, should, there should be age gating, et cetera. We've got to create that so that we don't have a backlash of unintended consequences with some sort of like regulatory, like shutdown from Congress or whatnot. I mean, even just to imagine like David, what you were saying, the, think about the marketplace for substances now. I mean, it seems like everybody has their substance of your choice, whether that is things like turmeric, whether it is like saffron, if somebody likes, or, or if it's stuff like metformin or, you know, the, the, the more anti-aging stuff or, or whatever, like people have different things that they want to take and imagining that those were all illegal as, as 
as recently as 94, and then that it took 13 years to get a market figured out and regulations figured out so that we can enjoy having those on store shelves the way that we do, along with nutrition labels and the kind of standards uh, that you can expect for those. I, I think that that's, that's crucial. And as you said, too, nobody wants to wait that long for what you know cannabis regulation that that's unrealistic to sort of think okay great now the now the DEA uh, does reschedule they admit what we've all known and we still got to wait over a decade for them to kind of suss out the rules mm-hmm. I don't think anybody mm-hmm. wants that I think you're you're absolutely right there um, uh, one, one other question you got you're talking about the establishing uh, watching different states having the states work together and because we are in this state-by-state legal patchwork where every state is like its own island of cannabis law um, and there is no interstate commerce as of yet I'm curious you know Alina you mentioned you started in Colorado uh, I- I'm I'm always interested and I'm fascinated in how the different states are rolling out their cannabis policies I look at Michigan nearby I'm here in Illinois uh, you know a lot of the complaints here in Illinois are like the prices and whatnot but but I always talk about the quality of the products that we have here uh, I'm curious uh, we'll start with Alina and then David you can pick it up but what states are you guys if you have an answer to this, I don't know if any states stand out as like they're doing it the right way, but I'm just curious, are you eyeing any states in particular in terms of future policy foundations and such? So, you know, as we know, each state has its own regulatory framework. And we also know that that regulatory framework in each state changes annually, maybe even two or three times in the year, the state will release emergency rules or new proposed rules. So, you know, what we're looking for, not any state in particular, but all states to start adopting these consensus standards that we're creating in groups like ASTM D37 Committee on Cannabis, right? So we're seeing, you know, as the state markets mature and learn just as you know we learn and evolve as an industry they're starting to pick up these standards and adopt them for example just this past year in colorado's um, uh, marijuana enforcement division rulemaking forum they uh, actually adopted one astm standard for hazard analysis control points HACCP system Mm. um, which is used in the food industry so that Starting next year, if cultivators have a HACCP system and can do this risk assessment and um, look at their hazards in their cultivations, they can actually have a reduced testing allowance and save money on testing. So, you know, Mm. and we have other states like Nevada who's adopted an ASTM standard on laboratory method validation. So it's not just about standardizing the test methods themselves, but how the labs are actually validating and verifying that those methods are in control and fit for purpose, right? So um, that happened in Nevada. A couple states have uh, adopted the water activity standards, which were actually D37's first standards that we had uh, years ago. Now we're up to 53 standards that ASTM has for the cannabis industry. So we're just hoping to gain more traction on having the states adopt those. And if we have widespread adoption across all the states, I feel like that's going to set us up beautifully for those to get adopted in the Code of Federal Regulations. Yeah, no, I, I think everything Alina said, um, you know, I'm, I first met Alina um, essentially watching her on one of the uh, Colorado Science and Policy Working Groups and was like, who is this? Who is this lady? Like, who is this woman? She's, she's like, schooling everybody with knowledge she's leading an organized ship she's helping write the rules as a volunteer like none of us get paid to do 
this, whether it's through ASTM or the Colorado Science and Policy Workgroup, um, and and just driving like you know evidence based information. And I think that's really resulted in a major transformation. No state's got it perfect. Um, there also, I would argue, there is no perfect. We'll just drive continuous improvement, and as long as we can work towards um, convergence, you know, like the idea of getting closer to harmonization um, and equivalency. You know, um, Nevada, I'll also commend for requiring terpenes um for from a medical Mm. perspective that's been well known we every cannabis aficionado talks about the entourage or the ensemble effect well right why don't why don't consumers have access to the terpene data to make those decisions and understand how it may affect them um and you know there's also 18 states that have some form of gmp uh good manufacturing practices um whether it's you know, just, uh, hey, follow this Code of Federal Regulation guidance that's, you know, uh, GMPs for food or dietary supplements or right. an ASTM or another standard they develop themselves. And so I think and a lot of that's been on the East Coast with the more recent states that have uh, brought regulations on. So I'm seeing that as a major, you know, shift in where areas where we can all learn from and can harmonize around. Because, you know, ultimately, if you think about 10 to 12 years ago when the frameworks, when Colorado and Nevada first started regulating, it was about compliance, right? It was keep it away from kids. Um, right. Don't let it get diverted out of state. It was not about safety and quality of the product. And now we're realizing that mature industries have to be safe. And uh, the regulations are starting to catch up with, you know, as Olina mentioned, emergency rulemaking, uh, you know, and annual rule processes. So, yeah, there's a lot of room for opportunity and growth, but there's also a really strong framework out there today. I'm glad you said it that way, too, because I think, you know, uh, there's so much excitement about cannabis. You know, we read every week these new polls of how 70 plus percent of the countries on board with legalizing and all of this. But at the same time, you know, th- there are people, enthusiasts, people who have been in the space for decades already. Um, th- th- there, are, there are people who... I think get hung up on that it's not perfect. You know, there are people who they, they they continually wish or stand on the sidelines because it's not matching up with whatever vision is in their head as to what legal cannabis should be. And I think the way you pointed that out, David, that, you know, it's never going to be perfect, you know, and, and nothing is. I mean, what what do we have in this world that that uh, that is perfection? You know, it, it's unattainable, but that means we can always improve. And I think looking for that, looking for ways to always improve, and as you guys both said, kind of settle on some universal standards and have all the states converge on a sort of roadmap that we all agree is is in everyone's best interest. I think that's fantastic, and and obviously the work you guys are doing at S3 Collective uh, is is toward that end. So I think it's it's fantastic. Uh, one final question for you both. Uh, you know, we mentioned the hemp farm bill of, of 2018. Uh, I believe I was just reading that that's been extended for another year. Um, the, yep. the, you know, and, and so I'm just curious, um, you know, we talk about some of these, the, the products that are covered under that hemp bill. I've mentioned on the show earlier in the year, my wife and I were on honeymoon on Maui and I was able to, you know, go to a bunch of different places because they were they were selling products that were under that 0.3% THC threshold. And I, I'm just curious, what if for, for S3 Collective's perspective, you know, what is, what's good about the farm bill as it is, and, and what are some of these improvements that we could, you know, look toward going, going forward? Oh, geez. Well, if I were to put a, you know, a positive spin on it, I think it has forced us as a entire country to really like 
rethink, rethink cannabis policy because it, uh, while the Farm Bill did explicitly preserve the FDA's authority to regulate the end products, you know, the Farm Bill was really only about the farmers and the agricultural production of that commodity. Mm. Um, but it's now opened up this can of worms where, you know, the argument is fairly valid at this point until proven otherwise. It has legalized marijuana, like, you know, with this 0.3% loophole, um, right. as it's been called. And so we now have a marketplace that's I think uh, 25 to $30 billion at last count from uh, a report by Whitney Economics, where uh, that's the intoxicating hemp or the hemp CBD-derived marketplace. That's larger than the aggregate of the state marketplaces at a, you know, the state-by-state cannabis-regulated marketplace adult and you know, medical use. And these don't have any regulations. So these products have no oversight. And that's what scares me is that you know, there's been so many more adverse events. There's been more adverse events of these types of products reported in the federal database, which is a major underrepresentation because if anybody's tried to navigate federal government databases or submissions, I think you can agree, good luck, it's, it's a little clunky. But there's been more reports there in the last, I think, three years than in the last 30 years combined. And that's related to a lot of these like impurities in the Delta 8 products and others. And so we really need to double down because as consumers, it's easy to just you know, have the assumption that you go into a grocery store, or convenience store, or any sort of brick and mortar. Of course, it's a safe product, right? Somebody's overseen that, and that's that's just not the case for these products. So we really need to um, address that before because the cat's out of the bag. It's not going back in, but we need to have some minimum standards to protect consumer health and protect a, a potential rollback of prohibition. You know, that's my biggest concern. That I think a lot of others, including attorney generals that I've been working with see as like what's going to happen if we don't get this um, addressed. Totally. I, I, the great points. I, 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 the way you spelled that out there, it makes me think like, yeah. you're right. People go into these off-brand CBD shops, which have popped up all over the place. I've probably got five or six within like a square block of me in Chicago right now. And you sort of think that like, oh, hey, someone's got to be looking at these. These are just Aldi brand knockoffs. Like it's just, it's just not name brand. Yeah. That's the only problem. But as you say, that's not the case. Like anybody can kind of sell as long as it's under that 0.3% THC see they can kind of sell whatever they want to and that that's where you get obviously tricky there have been stories over the years i got a lot of family in milwaukee and i remember years ago them talking about delta 8 products and there was a bad rash of them and and people really suffered from that so i think that's a that's a really really great point uh, uh, alina w- w- what are your thoughts about same thing just in terms of that hemp bill or looking ahead you know what are some things that that maybe you know we can use in terms of framework or maybe that that desperately need to change from it? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, some parts of the cannabis and hemp industry are a little disappointed that the farm bill got extended to 2024. But I also think it provides us, you know, more time and opportunity for the hemp and the cannabis sectors to come together. Because at the end of the day, we are a collective cannabinoid containing product industry, you know, Mm -hmm. um, we both have products that have cannabinoids in them. All cannabinoids have risks and benefits, you know, we need to address the reality of the situation. You know, I am an avid advocate for cannabis cannabis use as a medicinal patient myself. However, you know, we have not been using Delta 8, Delta 10, uh, 90%, Delta 9 THC, you know, distillates. We haven't been using these products for thousands of years, right? The the story that, you know, cannabis has been around for thousands of years. Nobody's dropped dead for it. We've got to stop saying that as an industry. We have to, you know, 
we have to look at the science and the evidence. And if we want to continue our industry, we have to come together for those bare minimum standards. I know everybody doesn't want overregulation. You know, I don't want that. I also don't want prohibition on any sector of the industry. Right. But there has to be some ground rules that we all are going to abide to because our common enemy at the end of the day is a child dying or, you know, like just people dying in general are getting hurt from products because we don't have these just bare minimum standards. So I think, you know, as an industry, we need to come together and stop, you know, fighting each other because that's just going to continue hindering, you know, the progress that we've already built upon the farm bill. Um, and so I'm hoping to see that in the future, because like, as you said, all those um, hemp shops that are uh, popping up, I, every time I travel now I try to go to a couple just to see, and like the labeling practices are so insane. I don't mm-hmm. know how, like we can't as consumers understand the labels because sometimes, you know, you can pick up a pre-roll in a hemp shop and it won't anywhere on it say that there's hemp or CBD in it. And I right. think that that is very, that is going to, you know, that, that is going to um, hurt us in the end. So I think, you know, if there's somewhere we can come to consensus on, maybe it's a labeling standard, right? Which exists in the ASTM world. So um, I hope everybody is interested enough in ASTM D37 standards to go look at, look up the standards we have already. You can visit ASTMcannabis.org. Um, and see that list of 53 we've already published and dozens more in the works. Come join us. Be a member. You can vote on the standards. Anybody voting negative on a standard stops it until we find consensus. And ASTM is not just U.S.-based. We have over 700 members from 39 countries working to build consensus uh, for a global framework for quality and safety of these products. That That's really great and, and well said. And, and, and as you mentioned, uh, listener, you can head to that website and check out the list there because, you know, as we're talking about, we talk about it on the show and we've been talking about it during this interview. I get that, you know, we've come from this wild west of where everything that happened with cannabis was under the 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 veil of criminality. There was no regulation. And we I understand that some people got used to those freedoms or whatever. What we don't want to have happen here, we, we, you know, that that is going away. In order to have this legal and have us all be able to go to dispensaries that we can count on to have high quality product and so that we can look at the nutrition label and know what we're consuming and all of that. That that to have that it requires some regulation. So we've got to give up some of that anonymity and that freedom of all the prohibition, you know, dark ages, but we also I get no one wants to be overregulated and this line that we're talking about, this neutrality line of threshold between overregulation and just the wild west of the the black market, um that's what S3 collective is kind of trying to suss out here for us is to establish the framework so that we're all satisfied with the the legal cannabis market going forward you know that's what we all want a future with legal cannabis that we can all accept and be happy with and it seems like the work that's being done at s3 collective is is on that front and uh thank you both so much for jumping on today listener head to s3collective.org to find out more about the work that david valencourt and alina rodriguez are doing every day to help us all get toward the future we want to be in. Thank you both so much for jumping on today. Wow, thank you so much, John. This is amazing. Yes, thanks for having us. And there you have it, listener. I want to thank again my guests, Alina Rodriguez and David Valencourt of S3 Collective. The work they're doing is really important, and I believe we'll be hearing more about that work in the weeks and months to come. This year, as we said, 2024 is a pivotal year for the future of cannabis, not just here in the U.S., I believe worldwide. Because like many things, the U.S. is a leader on 
this cultural front, and I believe there are many countries that will take their cue from what we do, not just statewide, but federally. They're going to look at the federal government, and if we can get the DEA and the FDA to reschedule cannabis, that's going to go a long way to telling the rest of the world, hey, we got this wrong, and you should really be letting people use this. Got a couple of thoughts here to share with you, listener, before I let you go for this week. One of them is an update uh, regarding the Moore Act. I talked about this last year on an episode that would be the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Expungement Act. This uh, particular act here, the Moore, is uh, supported by a broad coalition of civil rights, criminal justice, drug policy, and immigration groups. Those include Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, Drug Policy Alliance, Normal, Better Organization to Win Legalization, and Minorities for Medical Marijuana, along with the Center for American Progress and Students for Sensible Drug Policy. I talked about the Moore Act again on an episode last year, but the update is that uh, since it was introduced in July of 2019... Many more representatives have signed on as co-sponsors, and as of January 11th, as of today, another 36 representatives have signed on as co-sponsors, bringing the total to 82. So now 82 of the 433, I believe, representatives in the House are signed on as co-sponsors of this Moore Act. So I just bring this up because, you know, it's it's a big deal to have this kind of coalition. There are many, many things in the Moore Act. I won't get into them all right here. It's it's very complicated. I will share this article that I'm reading from, from CannabisBusinessTimes.com. I'll share the article with you, and you can kind of uh, look at the specifics for yourself. But the, the most important thing to note is that it would end the federal prohibition of cannabis. Not Not just rescheduling, but ending the prohibition and decriminalizing it fully. So that is something I think that we can all get behind. That's something that we'd all love to see. I I think that rescheduling does seem to be a little more realistic. But again, the wide range of support for the MORE Act uh, is, is encouraging. It would be great to get some Republicans on here as well. But again, you can look for this link in the show description notes. If you want to click on it, just scroll down to the uh, show notes and you can click on it there. And one more note for you. I found an interesting article from Cannabis.net. This is a blog post uh, posted by Lemon Knowles. It was posted uh, earlier this week. The title is Six Ways to Enhance Your Weed Smoking Experience. Now, normally when I see these, I I kind of roll my eyes and I think that uh, this is going to be some fluff piece about, hey, uh, maybe step outside or, hey, maybe try a a bubbler or, or you know, a vaporizer or something like that, which, you know, this starts that way, breaking down the different categories that you can have, but there's a lot more than that. They they specify an enhancement in terpenes. They talk about consuming the appropriate food to go along with your cannabis. Uh, those include tea, different teas. Uh, hey, tea chino may be one of those, but whatever your brand is, green tea, black tea, there are different antioxidants, according to this blog post, that link to the CB1 
receptors in your brain. The interaction allows the calming properties of cannabinoids to be more effectively experienced. So tea and cannabis go very well together if you didn't already know that. Another thing they bring up in this article, dark chocolate can have a similar outcome, particularly those with 72% or more cacao content. Besides antioxidant properties, it also slows the breakdown of anandamide, a bliss-inducing brain chemical named after the Sanskrit term for joy. Hey, I didn't know that. I guess that's ananda, maybe anandamide then. This action, they say, prolongs the duration of your high. So tea and dark chocolate. Uh, There's more foods in there if you're interested. I won't go through all of them. You should read the article. But another thing they mention, switching up your weed. Uh, Bud tenders might guide you towards strains with high THC, but as we all know, those aren't necessarily the ones that yield the greatest highs. In fact, some of those might be the ones that send you panicking off into a corner. Um, The entourage effect, which I talked about earlier in the show, it explains the cooperative impact resulting from the combination of phytonutrients, plant compounds, cannabinoids, and terpenes. This is why it's so important to have terpenes and cannabinoids on labels of all our cannabis products. That should be a standard, and I loved hearing that S3 Collective already has that on their radar. And and there's more great information like this in this article. So I'll also share this one in the show description notes as well. So that's going to do it for me on this episode. I hope you enjoyed the content that was here. If you did, please scroll down and become a subscriber to the Cannabis Man podcast. You just click on the support the show link under the description notes and it'll take you to a page on Buzzsprout and you can become a subscriber there. If you have already, I really appreciate it. And if you haven't, please think about it. If you thought that I brought any value to your cannabis experience today, Uh, I'm doing the show on my own as best I can. And any support I get from anyone is very much appreciated by me. Also, as I said, follow the show on social media on X and Instagram and YouTube. It's at Seaman Podcast and the Facebook page is the Cannabis Man Podcast. So go ahead, become a follower, check out uh, the different clips and the different posts. I'm putting stuff up there at different times throughout the week in between my episodes. I've also been doing some check-ins on the Wisdom app. If you've ever done that, uh, you just download Wisdom from the uh, Apple or Android app stores, and it's sort of a talking app where basically people answer questions. You can go live on there. You can have little interviews with other people or just conversations. I've been going on there and kind of giving some updates about my dry January, and I will continue to do that as this month goes on, but my my dry January and tea break, I got to say, already going pretty well. I do feel confident in saying I am past all of the withdrawals and I'm feeling very, very, very good. So uh, if you haven't thought about it or if you're considering it, I hope that some of the alternatives that I talked about earlier might help you out, but also explore for yourself. You know, it's difficult, but just like a lot of things in life, it's difficult, but it's also worth doing. And the rewards that you feel from getting away from it, from spending a little time away from cannabis, but but the other substances we lean on too, sugar, caffeine, some of these things that we just lean on throughout the day without thinking about it, um, it, it can be really, really helpful to you and your health to just take some breaks from it. I think you'll find, like I have, that uh, you like the way that you feel uh, taking a break. That being said, I very much look forward to getting back to my beloved cannabis, which I will be doing February 1st. And in the meantime, I'll be back again next week with another episode of The Cannabis this man podcast. Bye-bye.
Cannabis Man is 100% originally crafted by myself, Don Kleppen. Original theme music written and composed by Yusu Kim, a.k.a. Goodson. 